Welcome back to Pancreas Pals, a podcast by diabetics for diabetics. I'm Emily, a writer and editor. And I'm Miriam, a licensed mental health counselor. We're just two women trying to live our best diabetic lives. While it might not always be easy due to the literal highs and lows, it always helps to have a pancreas pal to turn to. Hello, and welcome to Pancreas Pals. I'm Miriam, a licensed mental health counselor. And I'm Emily, a writer and editor. We're just two type 1 diabetic ladies trying to live our best lives. It's not always easy with the literal highs and lows, but it does help to have a pancreas pal to turn to. Hey guys, welcome to Pancreas Pals. Emily here. And Miriam. And this week's very special guest is none other than... I, I, knew, I just I psyched myself up for this, Lauren. It's Lauren Mondrano, <laughs> everyone. Yay! She is a diabetic health coach and the creator of the Diabetic Health Journal. Um, I totally got the title right, but I paused for a minute before. So there goes my smoothness, guys. Welcome, Lauren. <laughs> yeah, I'm so happy to be here, guys. Truly blessed to have you. Um, I, so anyone who is unfamiliar with Lauren, um, you should probably be familiar with her. She's been on the podcast. Is this your third time? I think it podcast? is. I think so. I think so too. So welcome back. It's your first time on with Miriam as the new co-host. So that's exciting. Very exciting. Um, but I, I know Lauren on my own cause I actually used her as my health coach and then I've been, um, kind of connected with her ever since in the Decide and Conquer boot camp. So I'm like her biggest fan. We all love Aww. some Lauren. That's And for those who want to go stalk her while you're listening to the pod, um, I mean purely on Instagram, not in real life. That's not safe. Uh, hit her up <laughs> at Lauren underscore Bongiorno. That's B-O-N-G-I-O-R-N-O. This podcast is half probably going to be me spelling things. Um, <laughs> yes, again, yeah. just look her up on Instagram, not in real life. But very, very cool things. So you are very much all into health things. Sorry, I'm getting some feedback on my end. So like I can hear myself and it's scaring me. But anyways, powering through. Um, you are a Lululemon New York City ambassador. So you are all things yoga in life and Lululemon aside. I don't know why I included that into that sentence. But I wanted to kick things off a little bit with meditation and your thoughts on how meditation can help diabetes. Yeah, so it's actually so funny and timely that you asked this question. I put up, well, I've been doing on Instagram this uh, hashtag T1D Tip Tuesday, um, where I kind of like every Tuesday put like a little diabetes tip up my Instagram. And today's was about um, kind of overeating and binge eating when we're low. Um, and there's a picture of me with like a frosted flake box, and it's like 3 a.m. and I'm sitting on the floor. <laughs> so it was like super candid. Um, but <laughs> actually, that's something that was, it, it, this happened in December, this picture that I posted um, a couple months months ago and now it's April. So back in December and, um, it was, it hasn't happened to me in a while. Like that, that now happens to me far and few times in between. And as a kid and as a teenager, um, since I've been diabetic, since I've been seven, I've used to have so many more of those moments where I was, um, my blood sugar was in the sixties or the fifties or the forties. And I just like would start feeling shaky and I would need to like overeat like so much, like until I felt the symptoms go away. Like even if I tested my rational, like I can see that I was like, 
coming up or that I was actually, um, you know, 80 or 90, I'd be like, no, I still feel low. Like I'm, I'm not mm-hmm. up yet. Um, and I think one of the things that like mindfulness and I, I started practicing yoga about seven years ago. And one thing that had helped tremendously was really just, I think the ability to like watch my feelings and watch how I feel, um, and sit with the discomfort, um, rather than just trying to like get out of it as quick as possible. And I think that's one of the main things things that has helped with, um, me not over treating lows. I mean, meditation has helped with like so many other things as well. Um, I just think that when you're in a state of, um, creating, you know, with meditation, you're really creating space in your mind to observe your thoughts. Um, and so your relationship with food improves, um, the way your mindset is towards yourself, um, in terms of self-acceptance and your, and your behaviors, um, that improves. And then especially I don't deal specifically with anxiety, um, so much so, but I have a lot of clients that deal uh, with anxiety and type one and adding meditation practices and kind of slowing down is usually for those clients, like the hardest thing to do. Um, but it's oftentimes like when they can get over that like barrier of just going into it, it's the most, the number one thing that actually helps them, um, just feel better overall with diabetes and being less anxious. And that can, that goes the same for a person with a six, a one C who's like so anxious about, you know, having a number over one fifty, and the same goes for a person who's so anxious, um, you know, around food or, you know, whatever it is in their A1C is, you know, on the higher end. So it doesn't really matter. Anxiety can happen with anybody. Um, and I think it's just bio-individual, but meditation can help all across the board. Miriam, I know like you probably have a lot to say on this from the mental health perspective as well. Sorry, I just feel like this overlaps so much. Um, I know as someone who does live with anxiety and type 1 diabetes and, you know, seeks therapy all the time because it's dope and I will be a strong proponent of that always as well as Miriam because she's a licensed mental health counselor. To me, I just see this like I've dealt with this overlapping so much in my personal life and the way that I handle type one that I feel like to me, it's like, okay, Lauren, you talk about this and then now Miriam, I want to hear your perspective. So that was where I was going (laughs) with that. (laughs) No, but I I love what Lauren says, especially when associated with those lows because we've all been there when you have this low especially with the Dexcom I think it kind of makes it more um complicated than it used to be in the olden days the arrows are scary watch your number going the arrows are scary and I think you when you see the arrows are going down and the Dexcom is known to kind of be you know like 10 minutes delayed when it comes to lows going back up, but you're eating and you're eating and you're eating and you still see the down arrow. You're like, oh my God, I'm not going up. I'm just going to keep dropping until I'm unconscious. And I think, you know, Lauren has helped me realize to be more mindful of those things. But also I think it's something that you get more comfortable with as you, one, mature. And two, the longer you've had diabetes, you just get more used to these things and you get more aware of these patterns. And I think it probably takes a while to get to that point where you do feel comfortable saying like, okay, I had 15 carbohydrates. Let me like chill out for a couple minutes, see what happens. Um, but I think we've all been there and we've all had that, you know, giant spike after a bad low because you just like can't stop feeding the low. and then it, Or you're starving from the low. That. There's so many different yeah, like, and- components of that. Exactly. So I think it's very relatable. I loved the T1D tip Tuesday today. Um, I guess we're recording on a Tuesday. This will be airing on a Sunday. Spoiler but alert. <laughs> I love that tip. And it's, <laughs> and it's, you know, super relatable. Yeah, 100%. And I know I am a big, I mean, so 
I was diagnosed, I think, the most recently out of you you two lovely ladies. Uh, my fifth anniversary is coming up next month, which I cannot believe. Um, I know, soft sobs, but also celebrations. But anyways, I'll be positive. So, oh, toxic positivity. Oh, my God, someone tagged me in something about that recently, Miriam. I'm like, you're getting too in your head with all of these, all of these mental health <laughs> I know, tips. I am. Someone saved me. Anyway, saving myself. So I am a big, <laughs> big like guilty person of over-treating lows because when I see those arrows going down or when I'm sitting there and, you know, have the shakes really bad and I'm sweating and all this stuff, all I want to do is kind of reach for the frosted flakes, if you will, Lauren. So I think that this tip is very helpful and meditation is something that I've definitely used to try and, you know, wait out these types of lows. But I have like a completely different question is, did anyone have anything else to add about meditation? Because I wanted to talk about exercise a little bit as well. Well, I think another thing, you know, the mindfulness has helped with, um, and I've talked about this with Lauren as well, is just hypoglycemia anxiety or um, kind of avoidance and doing things to avoid potentially being low. You know, it's just once you become more aware and more mindful to kind of use the word over and over, but once you become aware of all of the factors that could potentially lead to a low blood sugar, you're kind of, I don't know, that avoidance, at least for me, disappeared a little bit more because I was more confident and understanding of every factor that goes into it. I kind of could expect a low um, or or anticipate that, you know, if I bolus this, it's, I'm, I'm not going to spike down. It might be a slower uh, down blood sugar. So I think it's helped to just be mindful of where your blood sugar is, what all the factors are, and help mm-hmm. yourself to, to trust your body, like you said, and to not run yourself high to avoid a possible low. Um Right. Well, if you too, Miriam, like if you think about what anxiety is and from a mental health perspective, Mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's a lot of it is the unknown or the unfamiliar or, um, being fearful of, of, of a result. And so what we did with you was like, your goal was to like tighten your blood sugars up and you were having a ton of like swings. And so for you, your lows now, when you had the knowledge of understanding what was causing those lows, eliminating and kind of getting ahead of it, it's almost like instead of do what you're saying is like, instead of getting to just the point where it's like, okay, how can we use meditation to fix the lows or the the anxiety Mm -hmm. on the lows? It's like, how can we fix like habits or things you're doing to not even get to that point or to avoid the the majority of the lows? And then when it happens, you're like, oh, okay, it's not a terrible low. And I know Mm -hmm. kind of why it's happening. So um, it's like a two part, two part thing. It is. And I think when we've talked a lot about on this podcast, how anxiety can kind of be like a for for some of us at least it's like a preparation thing like anxiety about traveling with diabetes a way to combat that is by preparing and kind of planning ahead being over prepared having more supplies than you need to avoid all of these negative outcomes that could possibly happen so i think with diabetes we're doing something similar we're we're addressing that anxiety by you know having as much knowledge as we possibly can about as many factors even though we'll never be perfect because we aren't pancreatic um but I think having as much information as we can, it's that anxiety hopefully will lessen. We'll all have our bad days, but I think, um, you know, just prepping as much as we can is the most most helpful tool we have. 
always be prepared. Mm-hmm. Um, so Lauren, how does this kind of, you know, preparation and looking at the bigger picture factor into exercising with diabetes? Because I know you're super athletic and you're a big yogi and I see you on all these ads around New York and all these things, exciting things you have going on. So I know I'd love to hear more about that from you. So from a fitness perspective, I think it's actually a good segue from the, from what, what exactly we were just talking about at the end there about meditation. And it's that I think the more that you can understand your patterns with your blood sugars um, and the more you can, I think, like equip yourself with what's in your control, the less diabetes seems overwhelming. Um, and what I mean by that is like fitness is like one of the best tools to help you control your blood sugar numbers because it's you're going to increase your sensitivity if you're exercising incorrectly. And when you're more insulin sensitive, if you have a high, you're coming down 10 times faster than you would if you weren't in a workout routine. Or if you were like, okay, I'm going out to dinner and I, you know what, I want to have a piece of bread or I want to have a burger on a bun and not have to take the bun off or a slice of pizza and just have it. You're going to have more of a chance of not spiking as much because you're, um, maybe we did a workout before that, or you worked out, you know, you're on a consistent routine. So I think fitness is one of those things where it's so important it doesn't like, I remember when I got diagnosed, my parents asked, I think when I was like seven, they were like, so what, what, you know, is it, what role is important for exercise or like what role, how, what role does exercise play in diabetes? Like what, what's the best thing she should do? Like asked all these questions and they were like, oh, like it's, you know, just, just move and, or, you know, she can, she can't, she doesn't have to kind of thing. Like it was very vague. And I'm like, oh my gosh. Like, I think if that gets into someone's head who let's say doesn't have motivation or just takes that as gold, it's like, they never have the chance to unlock like, oh my gosh, diabetes can be so much easier, um, when you're exercising because I've definitely been injured before. I was, um, I think, I, I, I don't know. I feel like I was, well, I was sick. I was in the hospital. I guess you can count that. I was in the hospital last year for just like a random non-diabetes related thing. It was like UTI turned kidney yeah. infection. Um, but it was, I, there was that. And then I was, yeah, it was crazy. And then I was like, I think I hurt my, oh yeah, on the outside of my knee, like the MCL or something. And so like last year there was like two months um, out of the year that I wasn't working out. And I was like, oh my God, it made me so much more grateful for the times that I could work out because I was like, my blood sugars are so hard to manage. Like, what the heck? Like I was like, it took like almost taking it away to realize how much of a positive impact it has on my blood sugars on a daily basis. It's true. And I, I totally agree. I was diagnosed when I was six and that was not ever a thing they talked about. And I don't know if it was just those times they didn't have enough research or evidence, but they did not emphasize exercise at all. And I think it is such an important part of the management. I, I don't think I fully realized it until I started talking to you about it as insulin sensitivity and resistance and how it's all connected. Um, it's huge. And I, I'm not sure, maybe Emily, you know, but is it more emphasized now when you're I diagnosed? actually, I'm really glad that you guys brought this up because I was not told a ton about it. I had to seek out the information. And again, this was only five years ago, and it's at a very well-respected endocrinologist's practice, you know, I'm at Columbia. So maybe it was just the the place I was at physically when I was diagnosed. I was already fairly active to an extent, and they were just kind of like, okay, continue Mm -hmm. doing what you're doing. But then I came back with all these questions like, well, now I have this thing called insulin and that lowers me and should I alter it, you know, before I work out and all this stuff. So I did get the proper information. I just had to ask, but 
I remember being like so scared mm-hmm. of working out because I was so scared of having a low blood sugar. And I know for me when I work out in the, like, I know I have to work out in the mornings versus working out in the afternoons because I'm super insulin resistant in the morning. So my, my blood sugar is less likely to be on a roller coaster. Whereas even when I walk home from work, which is a little little under a mile, I drop like it's hot in the afternoon slash evening. So there were all these factors that I had no idea as, you know, any non-diabetic would probably, who's not in the healthcare system, have any idea to factor into your workout. So when I first started following Lauren, and I remember the first time I actually met her, which was same time, probably around the same time I met Miriam as well, was when she came and spoke to the Young Leadership Committee for JDRF. I was like, oh my God, I need to get my butt back in gear. Like I had already been active, but it wasn't the consistency level that I had been before I was diagnosed. And I really kind of learned a lot about that with the help of the community, but also seeing that there are other types of working out, like HIIT exercises and Um, You know, I know that if I eat 10 grams of uncovered carbs in the morning and then hop on the elliptical for 30 minutes, I can also walk to work after and not drop too badly. Or maybe I need to pop a few glucose tabs before my walk to work and so on. So it is really interesting the way that it's not necessarily emphasized. Yeah. And Okay. So I think this would be fun for a second. So Miriam, we worked together for six months, one-on-one coaching, and then you did just finish the group coaching program. Mm -hmm. Um, and so when I feel like you, I feel like you can like almost health coach, I feel like I'm right now. So I think (laughs) if she says, if she said that her blood sugars, um, she works out more in the morning times, but not, and to avoid the lows in the afternoon, what is something that let's say she had, she would love to really ideally work out in the afternoon on like two days a week. What would you suggest or ask her? Do you think? Of it now, I feel like I'm like in health training. Okay, so, Miriam, I'll still love you but, even okay. if you get this wrong. Everything's fine. <laughs> so Emily acknowledges that it's easier and more effective for her to work out in the morning. But let's say she can't fit in a morning workout, wants to try to work out in the afternoon. Is that what you're saying? Like, what would I? What would I try to do with her? Yeah. So, like, what question would you ask her? Maybe what suggestion could you make? Well, something you helped me with was to like not – I can't think of the right phrasing. Um, to Don't try to reinvent the wheel because I realized like, ugh, I wish I could do morning workouts. I wish I could wake up to do those because I feel like it would be more effective but I can never make the workouts. And you were like, okay, then don't. If you like working out in the afternoon, work out in the afternoon. Um, and you kind of work around that. And I was able to and it's been like much easier when I'm not trying to force myself to wake up early. So I think for Emily, if, if morning workouts have been helpful – stick to it. But if you want to try to do it in the afternoon and something you've noticed is that when you're walking home from work that you start dropping low, I would, my initial instinct would be to do like a basal test. Um, <laughs> would that be your first thing? Oh my God, I, like I so put you on the spot. Okay. So you finally got to it. I would say something with the basal. So in the afternoon, you're definitely, everybody's cortisol levels yeah. are way lower in the afternoon. So your peak in the morning time, and then it decreases throughout the day because um, your body's getting ready to relax and go to bed um, progressively. So I would say for you, if you know an hour beforehand, let's say you have a five o'clock class you want to go to, that's when you want to make the adjustment. So an hour before you want to look at your, um, what you can do food-wise 
exercise, if you can cut back on like a snack bolus, so you start off at a higher note um, or go to start playing with those temp basils. Those are the two things that you want to look at. You want to look at food, you want to look at temp basils um, because there's definitely days for, you know, instance that like I want to do an afternoon workout, but I'm the same way. I tank in the afternoon. I'm so insulin sensitive. Um, So I actually take back insulin from like my snack, my afternoon snack or my lunch um, or do something with temp basil like that I specifically know for my body is going to work because I've tested it out before. So I think the the, the best thing in, is to really test it out for yourself and try it and, and then kind of create a plan around yourself because everybody's body is different. Like I just had a client before who she did a hot yoga class at 10, 15 a.m. And for a regular yoga class at 10, 15, she, um, she actually goes high. And for a hot yoga class, she tanked to 46. So instead of being like, oh my gosh, I'm oh, never going to no. do these. Yeah. So she, instead of being, <laughs> but, but instead of being like, okay, you know, and she came to me and she was like, okay, I never can do hot yoga at 10, 15 anymore. And I'm like, that is so like, that's, taking that's not putting you in a liberating space it's not giving you freedom you're letting you're it letting win it like win. let's yeah. work with right. it so what did we learn here mm-hmm. how many points on average did it drop you and now what are we going to switch around it to prevent that from happening so if you want to take that 10 15 yoga you're like heck yes because i know what it ha- did to me last time and i know what it can do to me today um mm-hmm. so yeah good work miriam we did very <laughs> Very impressed by you guys. <laughs> oh my god, sign me up. So but funny. yeah, no, I mean, I yeah, basically, Lauren. Yeah, I feel like Lauren just makes you feel like anything is if you just possible. Believe. <laughs> it just takes if you just believe. But also, it just takes a little bit more like maneuvering, and it takes a little bit of experiment, trial and error. But I feel like I would often. Exactly. I would often say these like self-defeating things like your other client, like, well, I just can't do that class anymore. Or I I guess I just can't eat like bread. And you're like, of course you can. You just learn from it. You figure out like, okay, this particular brand of bread, how many units did I give? How much did my blood sugar rise? So I think it's just, I mean, we this can just be a giant commercial for Lauren. Like, please seek her out because she's like this wealth of wisdom and really Uh inspiring because you can make anything work in your routine. Nothing is not doable because of diabetes. It just takes a lot more brain power than it, than it might've pre-diagnosed. Well, thank you for that, Miriam. And you're, you were a very good student and client. So I have to say you, you, you wanted to, you wanted it, you wanted it and you got over and you did the work and it wasn't easy and you, you did the work though. And that's why you got the results you did. So, and I think just the last piece I'll say on that is it's comes back to the same thing that I think we said in the beginning, which is when we're first diagnosed, I think as a comfort comforting tool, they tell us like, you can do whatever you want with diabetes. Like it's not going to limit you. Um, but we have in our head that, Oh, it's not going to be that hard. We'll just take insulin and give some carbs if we're low. And I think it sets us up to underestimate how much personal work we have to do on the outside. Um, it's kind of like when I first started, uh, at at yoga and I saw these people doing handstands around me and I thought that just by going to class, I was going to learn how to handstand. And it wasn't until I started working, um, when I was in college, I'd literally come home and my roommates would be making dinner and I'm like, okay, while you guys make dinner, I'm going to do handstands like here and I'm going to practice. I'm going to do all my moves that I learned in class and I put it into action. I did that for literally years and now it becomes second nature and I can handstand. And, and that's just a, you know, in a, in a far-fetched example, but it's kind of similar where you have to do the work on your own and then you'll get the results. 
Very cool. Yeah. Very true is the word I meant to say. Also cool. But um, I was wondering, <laughs> it's, it's, it's all the above. We're creating new words here on Pancreas Pals. So what are some of these questions you got from some of your uh, followers that you wanted to share some answers to? Okay. Amelia Curley said, bedtime routine. What do you do before bed diabetes-wise to hopefully sleep through the night? And how does sleep affect your diabetes management? <laughs> Sorry, Emily, you go. Miriam, what are you going to say? Miriam, go first. I was going to say, when I think of bedtime routine, it reminds me of when I was first diagnosed and my mom was like, Miriam likes to eat an Oreo cookie and milk every night. How can we make this happen? And they like, but insulin was just so different back then. It was like on the kind you had to mix together. But um, my current bedtime routine is just to eat dinner, obviously, um, and try to have um, like not too fatty of a dinner. So when I'm bolusing for dinner, I can kind of see the result of that bolus before I go to bed um, and then correct if I need to. But if it's fatty dinner, then obviously that makes it a little bit more complicated. I might need an extended bolus. Um, But I think – the real bedtime routine is just making sure your basils overnight are tight and good and testing those. So that would mm-hmm. be my first my first tip in getting that bedtime routine ready. Cause then if that if your basils are great, then you don't need to do anything before bed. Everything should just be like streamlined. Yeah. I mean I personally when I think of my bedtime routine, it's like no diabetes. Basically I'll test my blood sugar before I get in bed, bolus according to that and a pray that my Dexcom works and take a nice long sleep. But I also, if, you know, if I'm super high or if I'm going low, I'll be sure to wake up and check again later. But I try to eat very low carb. Uh, I probably don't eat more than 20 grams of carbs per meal. Um, so I'll eat dinner around like seven, seven thirty, and then go to bed by like 1130. So I'll know any bolus or anything like that before I'm hitting the Z's. What about you, Lauren? Yeah. So I would say number one, make sure your basils are correct overnight. And then two, the second factor to look at is food and ratios to carbs to fat to protein. Because remember that fat is going to affect you six to eight hours into the night. Um, So if you're pairing fats with carbs, that's when it can get tricky and you can see like a 2 a.m., 3 a.m. spike a little bit um, if you are having like a lot of fat with your dinner. Um, But I'd say mostly like try to eat as early as you can. Um, two nights a week, I really try to do like dinner, like no later than six, um, and really do like a solid, you know, four hours before I'm going to bed. And, and then I sleep with a straight flat line. Um, if I am eating, late, eating later, like tonight I ate, um, I think I eat like six, well, tonight I eat kind of early, but like seven o'clock. Um, it's just your, your, you, ha- you have to make sure your insulin to carb ratios are good and you're in right back again, I would say making healthy choices for dinner because your food does um, impact you not only two hours later, but all the way up until six, eight hours. Mm -hmm. Um, So you really want to keep that sensitivity down and and also understand too, if you're a nighttime workout person, you might have to play with some temp basils because that workout around, if it's after 5 p.m. is going to affect you overnight. Um, But bedtime and sleeping through the night is so important. It's not even so important like 
the amount of sleep you're getting. It's the quality of sleep without interruption you're getting because you're going through your all your cycles and your hormones are regulating overnight time. And if you're waking up in the middle of the night one to two times or more, um, your whole hormones the next day um, are going to be affected. And so your cortisol levels are probably going to be higher, which is going to cause more in, increase in your insulin resistance. So um, sleep is actually like the bottom of the pyramid for me in terms of like everything else follows after sleep. Mm-hmm. in terms of importance. <laughs> very cool. I mean, yeah. all very important things. Yes. All right. We yeah. probably have time yeah. for one so, yeah. I feel like we have time for one more question. One yeah. more question. Let's do it. Okay. So Gracie Joe Carpenter said, how do you deal with high numbers when it's a busy day and you're just stressed I out? I go for a walk. Walk it out. Walk it think? out. And then also, again, you have to, you know, go back and check and maybe do a temp basal if you're super stressed and it's not going to change. But for me, it's all about taking a minute and walking and Mm de-stressing. Yeah, same. I like just moving around. One, for just for your mind to get some fresh air and some movement, but blood sugar-wise too, if you don't feel like you're – if you're like stuck at a desk and it's been a hectic day and you're not moving at all, your blood sugars will likely – be a little higher than normal. Um, so you could try the new thing, which is like trending on Instagram, which is the Bongiorno squats. <laughs> <laughs> we all want a booty like Lauren. It's true. Oh my God. <laughs> no, it's, it started on the airplane where I went into the bathroom of the airplane and did 50 squats because my number was so resistant. But yeah, if you're stressed and if you're, um, or if you're not moving and you're during like during a work day and you're so busy and crazy, I would say yes, like movement definitely can help in most cases. Um, and getting that insulin, you know, more to be more, your body to be more sensitive to the insulin. But I'd even go back even further and say, how can you prep if you know it's going to be a busy day, um, to calm yourself down. And that's actually coming full circle where like not get rolling out of bed and rushing into your day. That's like the worst thing to do. I know for me, when that happens, I, my cortisol levels are so high when I'm running out the door late. So if you can like wake up a half an hour earlier, like ease into your morning, like make it relaxing for your body. So your cortisol levels aren't peaked and then you're starting for a more grounded place to be successful throughout the rest of the day. So I think that would be um, just, you know, taking some time in the morning, whether that's journaling or meditation or just like having coffee or tea with your like partner or roommate, whoever you're living with. Yes. hundred percent. Thank you so much for sharing the questions. Um, and also, for- yeah. And that was a beautiful first full circle moment going back. I know. To I feel like this, uh, this whole episode has been like, People probably think we planned it like that, but I'm embarrassed to say that's there's very little planning that went into that on my end, at least. <laughs> so as always, thank you, Lauren. We're going to wrap up now. So for all of those listening, you should definitely go follow Lauren if you don't already on Instagram at Lauren underscore Bongiorno. Um, we'll spell how to spell her last name and her whole Instagram ta- handle. Words are hard. Sorry, guys. Handle uh, on the episode. And be sure to follow us at pancreas underscore pals on Instagram, at pancreas pals pp on Facebook. You can email us, pancreaspals123 at gmail.com. Slide into all our DMs. We love hearing from you guys almost as much as we – or just as much, I should say, as we love talking to Lauren. Um, have a great week, everyone. And thanks again, guys. Yes. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, guys, for having me on. Bye. Always a fun time. Have a good week. Bye.